Greetings program, hello, and welcome to Tronologically Speaking, a movie-by-minute podcast talking about Disney's 1982 movie Tron. This is Minute 28. I'm your host, Duncan Shields, and with me today is my mature, worldly, all-round good guy guest co-host, Chris LaSalle. Welcome, Chris. Wow, thank you, sir. That was a great intro. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. It's good to have you here. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, excited to be here. Uh, Tron's, uh, Tron's one of my favorites from... Uh from my childhood so uh excited to talk about it uh so why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself and um and what you're doing yeah sure i'm uh i'm part of the uh the movies by minutes uh uh brethren so i'm a co-host of the star trek minute uh with my co-host dave stoker and uh uh we're currently working on our third season uh talking about star trek for the voyage home um so really dig the format uh uh, love that everybody's you know uh, uh, hitting on their favorite movies and and and, uh, and it's just really fun to see you know see see what people are covering and and when I, when you had announced that you were going to be doing Tron I was like oh I'd like to be part of that that's a that's one of my favorite movies so um, that was a great year for film I think eighty two when this oh, came yeah. out this oh, is uh, yeah. uh, this one's uh, Wrath of Khan which is where we started the Star Trek minute we started off with that film uh, and well, I don't know the there must have, I must have been in the movie theater all summer in 1982 because yeah. yeah. there's so many amazing films. Ridiculous um, summer. That was a ridiculous summer. Yep. So yeah. So uh, yep. That's a. Uh, that's who I am. Outstanding. Um, do you remember the first time that you saw Tron? Uh, vague memories of it. I mean, yeah, I would have seen it. Um, uh, I saw it in theater for sure. Um, I was uh, 11 at the time, so it was. Uh, you know, perfect target audience for for that film and um it's funny i i i was i was actually trying as i was thinking about getting ready for this i was trying to remember all right i definitely saw it in a theater but when would i have seen it again you know when did it you know come out on vhs or hbo or something like that that's usually where i got you know started to, to watch it on uh repeat or whatever but um no i remember seeing it in the theater and everything that sticks out for me and it's funny looking back on it. Everything that sticks out for me is everything that happens inside mm-hmm. uh, the computer. So all the stuff, you know, once Flynn, uh, you know, gets sucked in, uh, but all the stuff that happens in the real world, I remember even as a kid, like totally tuning out, like, well, this is, <laughs> it was kind of boring. When do we get to see all the cool computer stuff? And, uh, um, so, uh, so yeah, so my, my memories are really just of all of the, it's, it's two things. It's, it's it, everything that happens inside. Right. Um, and it was also the first time I, I came across the Tron arcade game, right? which would have been like at a Chuck E. Cheese not too long after the film. And uh, just being like, oh, my God, I can actually play light cycles and I can't, this is amazing. And um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, the, 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 for the first viewing was everything, everything in the computer. And then after that, it was, you know, I think, I think it was HBO. It must have, that's when I started watching it on yeah. repeat. That must have been one of the first times, I think, or one of the few times that that kind of cross-promotion really worked, that the video game of the film was, yeah. like, really good. And it, it actually uh, it made more money than the film itself, that uh, that video game. The oh, arc, well, I'm not surprised, game. actually. I mean, yeah, it was a lot of fun, and you could play multiple, like, things, right? There was the light cycles and... Yeah, it was the light MCP cycles, and... beat MCP, it was the grid bugs... 
the attack yes, red bugs. Yep, there was, bugs. I think, there was a, a frisbee, the the light, the light, uh, light frisbee game. Yep. I got to do more research on the game itself. Actually, I should probably fire that up and uh, play a few, play a few rounds. I remember it from back in the day. I like that they made yeah, the 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 game cabinet exactly like the one that you see in the movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I love that because you're like, wait a minute. I know that. I know that. Uh, do you know? I, one of the things I was I wanted. Did they ever make Space Paranoids? Was that actually? No, they never made that. Oh, they uh, they made it on um, like on for I've I've heard that for the release of Tron Legacy, they made a version of Space Paranoids uh, for oh, that, okay. and that they released yep. it on um, I guess CD-ROM or something that you could play on your browser or something like that. That you could you could actually go to a website and 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 play it because now we've got the capability. Because what he's playing in the movie was very much not even remotely possible at the at the time, unless he was playing, right, right. you know, something like uh, like Dragon's Lair or something like it was plainly a movie that was playing on his uh, on his machine. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was watching it. Yeah. He was, he was pretending to play. Yeah. 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 And doing a great job of it though. His uh, his game face in that shot was just very. <laughs> it is. I actually just rewatch. I you know so getting ready getting ready to. Uh, to, to be on the show, I actually I rewatched everything from the from the you know start of the film to these minutes just so I could you know kind of refresh. It's been a little while since I've watched it. And, yeah. Uh, uh, probably the last time I watched it was just before you know Legacy came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, so yeah, it was actually uh, I'd forgotten how good the movie looks. Yeah. Um, and uh, even like you know when the Encom helicopter flies in with Dillinger on it, I'm like, oh my god, it looks like it's part of the computer world i yeah. had forgotten all about that stuff and yeah uh, so is a uh it was great yeah it was great that helicopter is something that really got burned into the collective subconscious of everybody who watched the movie because everybody when they yeah. see it again they're like oh that helicopter oh that helicopter yeah. that's the coolest thing that was a yeah a really cool yeah, right really cool of, view yeah, right out of it all right, so what happens in this minute? Uh, Flynn plays a prank on Dr. Laura Baines as they continue to sneak in. Alan sits down at his terminal in his cubicle. Dillinger's defeat is complete, and Flynn and Dr. Laura Baines make their way into the linear accelerator structure as they tiptoe deep. The linear accelerator, nice. Yeah, that's what that is. This is something that um, I'm not sure if you knew, but this was all filmed at. This isn't a set. This was filmed at the Lawrence Livermore uh, Laser Facility structure, which is still going today. And that's a, a linear. Uh, that's that was one of my that was one of my questions actually. I'm like, I hope he knows because I'm like that. You can tell it's not a set, right? It's some. Yeah. It's some place, and I'm, so so. What was it again? The the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. Okay. It's down in, uh, down in California, and they have a what's called a, a Q-level security clearance, which is uh, like four or five steps higher than like the president or like top secret. They are okay. part of the uh, Energy Commission, so they're there to test the results of radiation, to store radioactive waste. They're doing things in there that are so top secret. I don't even know how this film was allowed to film in there, because it's the only film before or since that's ever been allowed to film in there, so I don't know what kind of who they knew or what kind of deal they made or something like that. But uh, it's uh, amazing. All this yeah, that, stuff. That was one of the things that stood out, you know, watching this minute and, and the next one as well is, you know, it's like, whoa, yeah, what is this place? Cause you yeah. can tell, you, you can tell it's not a set, you know, it's a real world uh, place that they're in, but you know, it can't make heads or tails of it. Yeah. And uh, I was, uh, I was actually, you know, trying to figure out, I'm like, I've seen, there's been other movies where you've, that take place in some of these crazy structures and 
and not to draw it back to to Star Trek, but I, I'm gonna. <laughs> oh yeah, please do, yeah. please do. In the in the Star Trek reboot, uh, the 2009 reboot, um, every time we see the engine room of the Enterprise, it's this massive. It reminds me of this place because it's just this massive tunnels and yeah. structures and ductwork and all these things. You're like, what? What? How? What is this place? And how do they? How do they have any function in the real world? Because they're just so massive. Um, was that so, yeah. was that uh, was that room an actual structure? Was that like a decommissioned nuclear power plant or something that they used in uh, in Star Trek? Or not nearly as sexy as that. It was. It's actually. It was an Anheuser Busch brewery. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So I mean, it sounds like it sounds like what we got here in Tron is much more uh, appropriate. It's <laughs> to, an in, yeah more they're actually taking place yeah, of yeah in keeping with uh, the no film. the Enterprise is a brewery in the reboot. Um, <laughs> so. That's wonderful. Uh, oh, that's fantastic. And it makes sense, right? It makes sense. I can see that now yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, one thing just talking about, you know, jumping back to this minute then yeah. uh, was uh, I love uh, Flynn's jacket in yeah. this minute. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, the, the movie is, I guess the movie's kind of dated, you know, it's dated you know, 82, but uh, I find that jacket right there is like the thing that just jumps out at you. It's, yeah. It just screams. Uh, you know, parachute style clothing and whatnot. Yeah, um, yeah. And, he looks uh, like uh, like an extra on that uh, V television series. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. With the, with the red sleeves uh, and the, the pointy shoulders. Yep. So Doctor Laura Baines comes into the room where Flynn is hiding and is momentarily confused. And as she looks behind her, Flynn quietly stands up and clears his throat. And she says, "Flynn." And he gives a what gesture followed by a cutesy after you and then gives her a playful little shove as they half jog out of the room. Now, you can see here the banter that they had in their previous relationship because they're like uh, they're ex lovers. And you can see how her playful side was very activated by him, but how it could have become quite tiresome and not in keeping with her more serious goals. But he somehow manages yeah. to go just far enough to be charming without going over the line. But it's still a little alarming to me that he's bringing this level of levity to such a, a serious endeavor, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, but in some ways it just, I don't know, it's that's that's who Flynn is, right? That's his character. I mean, he's, uh, you know, he's, he's a jokester. He's uh, yeah. Uh, Whatever, that... What does Alan call him? A space cowboy? You know, that. Yeah, it, yeah. I, I, think it, I think it's totally in keeping and. And to me, I'm like, well, you can tell he's already like, well, I'm going to try and reignite this relationship. And this seems to be, you know, he's oh, just trying to get okay. it off the ground again. That's that's my read on it. That right? was your read on it. I like that read. Sure. I didn't get that uh, impression, but I can see that for sure. Yeah, he's trying to yeah. fire it up again, trying to like sort of playfully flirt and uh, bring it back online, I guess. Oh, that's yep. awesome. I like uh, I like her outfit here, too, because the, the blazer and the jeans and the glasses and the yellow button-up shirt, you know, it all it all comes together. And like it was like we were noticing in a minute before, it's like a mixture of Flynn and Alan, right? Because she's got the jeans, yeah. she's got the jeans on, but she also has a blazer, so she's got similar aspects to both of them, you know. And I thought yeah, that the was one, interesting. It's funny you say that about the blend, because I find with with both of them, her and Alan, their glasses are, um, I don't know if it's again because it's the 80s or if it's just because they're actors who don't normally wear glasses but neither of them look like like they're real like they, like yeah. they really need to be wearing those yeah um but yeah. that's i've never noticed that before that's a great read on uh she's a blend of the two yeah and i'm i'm 
I would not be surprised if that was done on purpose by the costume designer, because that seems like the kind of detail that... I mean, I really like going through these movies minute by minute, because you notice these little things like that that are like, that must have been done on purpose. Absolutely, yeah. You know. Uh, what is it? Oh, and also the director in the creator commentary, the director notes that Flynn is a well-adjusted, cool, technical, creative type, which isn't something that was happening very much in the movies. I was going to say, well-adjusted, yeah, I wouldn't have, you know, uh, creative, sure, Yeah, uh, but he seems pretty loose and hot-headed and, yeah. um, of course, but, uh, I'm trying to think, is, I'm trying to think, is any other character well-adjusted? I mean, Alan seems very, uh... You know, rigid. R- rigid. That's a great word. Rigid. Yeah, he's very rigid. Yeah. Um, although in this minute, like I'd never noticed before. Again, love. I love the movies by minutes format for this kind of stuff. Is I'd never noticed in her in his cube, uh, the quote from yeah, uh, you know, yeah. Platu brought a Nick Two from um, the day the Earth stood still. That's right. That's uh, right. So right there, that that kind of changes my perception of him uh, as this rigid guys like oh he's got a love of science fiction at the very least yeah for sure uh-huh. i've got a lot of uh, a lot of day of the earth stood still notes for for when that when that comes up that was a great film jeez that was a good movie it's very timely and i know well yeah well okay we'll we'll, we'll get there when we uh when he gets to his cubicle uh, okay. i was thinking in terms of well-adjusted technical types the only one that really came to mind was uh ferris bueller because he yeah. is a scene where he hacks into a school computer and maybe also Matthew Broderick in War Games, but I guess he was a little nerdy. He wasn't really well-adjusted, was he? I forget. I, I have notes all over the place for these couple of minutes about uh, about about War Games. Uh, <laughs> oh, good. That's, that's, a, that's, a great, that's actually a great connection, too, with Ferris Bueller, because I think that was actually supposed to be an homage. The Ferris Bueller hacking scene was supposed to be an homage to oh, War Games. okay. That would make sense. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so that's that's a great point. That's a great point because, um, uh, yeah, there's a scene earlier in the in in this film uh, where Flynn is trying to hack in uh, to Encom, and his setup just reminded me of Matthew Broderick's Matthew Broderick's setup in uh, sure. in War Game, uh, yeah, in War Games, trying to hack into things. So yeah, um, I was thinking of uh, hackers too, maybe because that they sort of made that all look really cool. It's like yeah. the the the, so the hackers to me was sort of the beginning of the cool hacker phase, where right, you get like right. I'm a, I'm a hacker I'm living on the edge I'm listening to, you know, new music and doing cool stuff you know like, uh, <laughs> kind of culminated yeah. in the Matrix I guess. Right? Did you you know just speaking of these you know character types and well adjusted and uh, the the other one that pops to my mind but there isn't really there's no there's not a lot of computer stuff in it is uh is uh, real genius. Oh yeah, Chris Knight. Um, so Val Kilmer's character, uh, I mean, is that's all about lasers, right? So we got that's you can probably tie it in here with lasers. But I don't yeah. remember being kind of hacking. He was just, you know, a brilliant kid, just a brilliant genius. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, all of these, all these, all these carry all these eighty films, all these, uh, the cool nerd, uh, you know, the cool geniuses. That there's a thread there between all of those characters. You can kind of probably, you know pull them all together and yeah uber 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 nerd a super team like an avengers of movies uh movies uber nerds that would be a really cool uh that would be a cool team now that they're doing all these uh like you know what is it at the at the time of this recording they're talking about resurrecting james dean for a movie and they're using all those uh they're using all these de-aging techniques like in the irishman and in the beginnings of guardians of the galaxy 2 so you could conceivably 
make a super team of like a young Matthew Broderick and a young Val Kilmer and like a young uh, gosh, I don't know, Angelina Jolie and all, all and, a, and a young, you know, Neo, and just put them all, put them all together on like an Avengers to to bring down a new MCP or something like that. I would pay money to see that. Oh, that would be pretty sweet. That would make an amazing like short film or Super Bowl commercial or something like that. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's you probably nailed it right there. That's where it would first show up. It would be in a Super Bowl commercial. Yeah. yeah. That would be the spark that would turn it into a feature film later on, because everybody would be amazed and love it, and yeah. That's what I was hoping was going to happen. To get further off topic, there was a, a Ferris Bueller, a Ferris Bueller's Day Off Super Bowl commercial about three or four years ago, where he's walking around as he is now, and it's still got the the, the yellow music playing, and I think it had cameos from Alan Rock and Mia Sarah, and. Uh, and then it turned out to everybody thought it was a tease for another Ferris Bueller's movie, but it turned out to just be a commercial for a car, I think, or something like that. But I really, I'm going to have to go find that. I missed that one. Yeah, it wasn't very good, but the idea of another movie <laughs> with their ages as they are now, like I love the idea of Ferris maybe having a terminal disease and his life hasn't amounted to much, but then Alan Ruck, who is now a super successful, uh, you know, billionaire or something like that calls him up you know and he's like come on come on out i haven't seen you in a while we got to do something and he's like i'm dying and he's like you're not dying you just can't think of anything good to do and then he's like no i'm I'm literally dying (laughs) so it becomes this flip of like alan rock pulling him out of his uh of his funk and taking him on a bucket list adventure um because he's got the money to fly them to cairo or wherever and, and and just gives him a wish list of stuff and then he gets to see another gets to see life again so on the other end on the other book end of their lives alan rock is the one that does the uh the education and the showing around i think that'd be a great idea i think it writes itself uh, i you know what again i would go see that as well so just yeah you should be copywriting all this stuff <laughs> i think i will i think i will i think that's a killer idea maybe i'll write a script <laughs> after this all right so the room that flynn and dr laura baines are going through has a cray supercomputer in it and again, oh. this this was shot at the Lawrence Livermore Labs as well, as well as the big red door that they go into. That's also an actual door at the Lawrence Love Livermore Labs. Door. Lab. <laughs> okay. One of them. If there was a top ten list of movie doors, I think that's probably number one. And uh, so this one actually, this is a room full of computers, actual computers. It's not a, a a set. They did a tour of the facility and they saw some of these rooms and were like, oh, let's just shoot here can we do that and they got permission to do it so this has a, a cray yeah, a cray supercomputer which was the most powerful computer at the time but they're still going if you go to cray.com they're still strong with the tagline high performance storage for the exascale uh, era does that ring exascale a bell exascale era your cray cray supercomputers i assume that 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 rings a bell with you eh? you remember cray is it there Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, now my question for you is, are they walking through the cray right now? Is it like no. all room size at this point in time, or do they walk by a cray? They walk by a cray. There's one of the, one of them has looks kind of like a washing machine. Um, and that's, that's one of the, the cray, the cray computers. They said, Oh, that's very cool. They didn't, they I weren't. Assumed, yeah. I, ass- I assumed it was a set that they just dressed with all these funky machines and stuff. So it's kind of a tour uh, through the ages. Cause some of them look a lot some of them look like 1965 computers you know mm-hmm. with the real the magnetic reel-to-reel tapes and uh and stuff like that so there's there's probably 
I think that might even be like a storage room for ones they don't use anymore. I don't, I don't know, but they did. There, a Cray supercomputer is apparently in that room because the the Cray supercomputers that I looked up actually looked like like the first ones. They actually looked like the MCP. They're like a segmented cylinder, like a tower, right? Yeah, like, like a, yeah, like a tower yeah. with the with the donut, like a donut shape. The middle's cut out, so it's taller than a person, so a person can yep. walk into the middle and program and repair the backs of all the all the machinery and stuff like that but it kind of looks like a giant cylinder with a break in it as well as almost like a bench around the bottom which is very similar to the shape of the mcp and its main housing absolutely yep so I uh, yeah there. i'm actually seeing now the washing machine style things that you call, you call yeah. it out. i'm like oh yeah. that's that's not as exciting as the cool segmented tower <laughs> no not at all <laughs> uh, right now uh cray is a subsidiary of hewlett packard enterprise and they're based in seattle washington and uh several cray supercomputers are still listed as of june 2019 in the top 500 with two of them still in the top 10 so wow okay if you'd like to i'd like to go through the top 10 supercomputers as of june 2019 from top500.org do you want to hear what those are because it's pretty interesting are they are they fictional computers or no are these these are, this is the actual the actual top 10 supercomputers in the world this year from from june according to top500.org i would love to hear them and i want to see how many of them i know okay the, uh, the first one is, oh, the first two are two IBM-built supercomputers, Summit and Sierra, installed at the Department of Energy's Oak Ridge National Laboratory in Tennessee and the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory in uh -huh. California, respectively. They retain the first two positions on the list. So that's the first one that's at the Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, which is what we're looking at right now. Number three is the Sunway Taihu Light, a system de de developed by China's National Research Center of Parallel Computer Engineering and Technology. And that's installed at the National Supercomputing Center in Wuxi or Wuxi. It's W-U-X-I. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. And holds the, it holds the number three position with 93 petaflops. It's powered... It's powered by more than 10 million SW26010 processor cores. 10 million processor cores. I don't even know how big this thing must be. That's ridiculous. Yeah, I have like four on my computer right now. So right. A little, right. A little bit of a difference. That's like a prairie. That's like a prairie filled with, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but they must be really tiny or something. Number four is the... Tianhe 2A, the Milky Way 2A supercomputer developed by China's National University of Defense Technology and deployed at the National Supercomputer Center in Guangzhou. Number five is the Frontera, the only supercomputer, the only new supercomputer in the top 10. The rest of them have already been up and down the ladder there. And it's installed at the Texas Advanced Computing Center at the University of Texas. And now we have a couple of crays. Number six is Piz Daint. <laughs> I don't know where they got that name from. Piz Daint. <laughs> it's a Cray XC50 system installed at the Swiss National Supercomputing System in Lugano, Switzerland. And then there's Trinity, a Cray XC40 system operated by Los Alamos National Laboratory and Sandia National Laboratories. Number eight is the AI Bridging Cloud Infrastructure, installed at Japan in the National Institute of Advanced Industrial Science and Technology. 
Then there's the super, and number nine is super M-U-C-N-G, installed at the Leibniz Reichenstrom, no, Reichenzentrum, Leibniz Supercomputing Center in Garching near Munich. And number 10 is the upgraded Lassen computer, also installed at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. Lassen is the unclassified counterpart to the classified Sierra system and shares the same IBM Power9 NVIDIA V100 GPO architecture. So that's a few craze and a few supercomputers in the top 10 still at the Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. So they're quite current and they're still churning away on top secret Q clearance stuff. So, Well, see, that's, that's what you had me thinking about as you're rattling through these, right? Uh, and you said it right near the end. One of them was the unclassified version of something. And, and <laughs> yeah. Like, so th this is this is the top ten uh, supercomputers that we're allowed to know about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Or so like you wonder. Yeah, there are even more powerful ones doing like even more cool top secret stuff that we just have no idea exist. Like I wonder. Um, yeah. Like the same thing about the Forbes the Forbes list of the richest people in the world. I imagine there's, you know, f fifteen or sixteen people that are rich enough to keep themselves off that list. <laughs> <laughs> yep no don't, one needs to know me don't even include me you know i got more money than all of them but don't even put me anywhere near that did this list include what these computers are doing no i think because of their top secret like because some of them were for the chinese national defense you know <laughs> like i think some of them like not only would that be super secret it's like double super secret since it's in like you know in china uh so they i think what these must be based on are just stats yeah you know yeah, there must just, just the be power, like the power the power that they, they this is yeah. the processing power these are the um this is a bit more about cray itself cray research incorporated was founded in 1972 by seymour cray he later formed uh cray computer corporation in 1989 which went bankrupt in 95 and cray research was acquired by silicon graphics in 96 and then Cray was Cray Incorporated was formed in 2000 when Terra Computer Company purchased the Cray Research business from SGI, and then that company was acquired by Hewlett Packer Enterprise in 2019. So a very recent acquisition, and right now they seem to be mostly focused on the problems of massive data storage. I was just wondering, yeah, because I thought you were heading for you're going to tell me that Cray ended up being you know bought by Pixar and it's not being used to you know render their films or something like that, which yeah. you know. Uh, half joking, you know, because I know that they need that kind of super computing power to do all that kind of stuff. They sure do. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty cool too when you think about. Uh, I mean, the, I thought I was going to know some of those top ten, and nope, the only ones I recognized were Cray. Oh, uh, okay. You kind of think about it. It's like, um, yeah, what is what was the what was the the first big computer? Was it the Univac or whatever? Yeah, the, Univac. Yeah, the one you you know, walked around inside of, and that's where they found the first bug, you know, which was a literal bug. Yeah. Uh, but you, when you think, stop and think about it, you know, depending on what level of nerd you are, uh, you know, how many how many famous computers are out there? And Cray is definitely that one that kind of stands out as a, you know, maybe it's because of that model that you were talking about that just looked cool. Not only was it the fastest computer in the world at the time, uh, but it looked cool on top of it. Um, yeah, it wasn't trying, just I'm trying, a, I'm trying to think of their others. You know, is there others other than Cray that I can't think of any? Well, there's some. Uh... Well, there's some that we'll talk about. We'll, we'll talk about later because they get into uh, they get into chess computers in a later minute, and those okay. are the ones that I sort of know about. But in terms of just blanket blanket supercomputers, Cray's the only one I think that really comes to mind. You know, when I think of supercomputer, 
a distant bell goes cray cray i'm like oh yeah cray yeah. right we can and, look it up in the dictionary that's <laughs> it there it is eat cray the last the last little bit on cray that i thought was pretty cool was that they manufacture all of their products in chippewa falls wisconsin which is uh that's that's where seymour cray grew up hmm. yep that's not where i would have put any kind of high technology would be in no it must falls. it must provide a lot of jobs to that town because it's only got around thirteen thousand people in it wow you ever cool. been you uh you ever been to wisconsin i have uh not chippewa falls been to uh uh eau claire i think is the uh uh and towns around it but uh it was really more for work so nothing super exciting to, right <laughs> to go with that story <laughs> i hear it's got some really good people there a friend of mine lived there for a while and he said they were all really friendly I got good co-workers there, so yes, I will vouch for that. Oh, well, there you go. Right on. <laughs> uh, but enough about Cray. Okay. So Alan gets to his cubicle and forcefully takes off his smart corduroy blazer and sits down next to his Gort Klaatu Barada Nikto banner. Now, uh, as we were talking earlier, you know what that banner means. I think a lot of people might think it's purely an Evil Dead reference. But uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it's from that movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still, from 1951, and, re- and had a tepid remake with Keanu Reeves in 2008. Oh yeah, no, we don't. We just write that off. We That's... just write that off. It's too bad because the central message of the movie is so timely. Unfortunately, still definitely timely, and it would have been cool to have a movie, a new, a, an updated version of The Day the Earth Stood Still that still carried the same weight as the as the first one did do you remember yeah, it absolutely well it was it was uh it was really for for earth to unite right and be uh uh get behind stop stop fighting with one another and get all everybody get on the same page that was my takeaway from that film and, yeah uh, yeah, we, yeah, we could definitely use that today. <laughs> to uh, to I guess to to paraphrase the plot a little bit, in the 1951 movie based on the 1940 science fiction short story "Farewell to the Master" by Harry Bates, and this is something I found out: the movie had a score by Bernard Herrmann, who also composed the theme to the Twilight Zone. So that's pretty cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's cool. That but makes it, sense too. That's kind of they kind of tie them together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They get get the Twilight Zone guy. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, in the movie, a humanoid alien named Klaatu comes to Earth because aliens are worried that we now have the capability for atomic power. As he comes out of the flying saucer that's landed in Washington, D.C., a nervous soldier shoots him. His robot manservant, Gort, comes out and melts all the guns and tanks in the area to slag with his eye laser. Klaatu gets taken to the hospital, claiming he has a message for all the leaders of the world and that he needs to speak to all of them at the same time. He's told that in today's current political climate, forget it, that's not going to happen. He escapes and learns about our warlike nature, but also our beauty, telling the local widow, Patricia Neal, who's also from uh, Breakfast at Tiffany's and HUD, for which she won the Best Actress best actress Oscar, that if anything happens to him, she has to go to Gort and say, Gort, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto. He then stops all electricity on the planet Earth to get our attention. And it certainly does, and he gets shot as he manages, but he manages, but she manages to uh, go to Gort and say Gort Klaatu Barada Nikto, which stops Gort from annihilating our planet <laughs> in retribution. So that's the phrase that saves the planet. And then uh, they leave, 
uh, a resurrected Klaatu leaves with Gort saying that the aliens are watching and that we can either join them in peace or keep on our current ways and be destroyed. So Gort, Klaatu, Barada, Nikto has a lot packed into it as a, as a, quotable, as a quotable movie line. And it's, it's right up there with a, you know, E.T. phone home or something like, like in terms of quotable aliens in, in movies, that's probably maybe even the top one. I feel like you don't often see it, though, when you see it, you don't see it tied with his name with Gore. It's usually just, you know, Klaatu, Barada, Nicktu. You only hear it, yeah. you only hear it or see it written out that way. Um, is it? Do you know? I don't know. Is there actually? Does that actually translate to something, or is it more just you know? No, I looked it up, and you know, it'd be good. It does it. Yeah, it doesn't really, it doesn't really translate to much specifically. It's just kind of. You know, that's actually okay. I, you know, in some ways, you, know, you want answers to things. Yeah. Uh, but there are, but in, in other ways, I, I love the mystery. So you don't need to explain it away to me, right? So I'm actually glad there's no real uh, direct translation. So. Yeah, I imagine that it just means like stand down or, you know, don't, don't, yeah. don't go home and don't kill everybody. <laughs> right. Everything's going to be okay. Yeah. yeah. I was trying to think of like you're with the Star Trek minute there. I was trying to think that another quotable alien is Spock. Right. But he didn't. Uh, yeah. I guess he's, I can only think of him saying that would be illogical or something. I don't remember a specific, a specific spot. My go, yeah, my go-to for him is, I think there's two. There's like live long and prosper. Oh, there you go. Kind of a a farewell. Yeah. Uh, uh, But then, um, okay, now, now, now I'm starting to rattle a bunch off my head, but, (laughs) but uh, uh, the needs of the many uh, outweigh the needs of the few or the one, which I think you could probably tie that into uh Dave, you, you can almost tie that to this quote as well right yeah, there's that kind yeah. of message of uh you know looking out for all for all of us and um uh yeah uh sorry now i'm getting i'm, I'm heading down to star trek <laughs> i know well it was that what you <laughs> but yeah what was it you have and always will be my friend i guess there was exactly yep. yeah <laughs> yeah there's that one there's a i love spock he's one of my favorites so oh he's classic um, yeah I didn't. It wasn't until I got older that I realized that there was um, that people were attracted to Spock as well as Kirk. That Kirk Kirk had like this uh, manly macho outgoing mm. thing, and then but Spock also had his own level of thing that uh, that people were attracted to. And it wasn't until I got older that I I recognized that there was like there was actually two camps, <laughs> and I was like, oh, sure, I, yeah. I, I can see that, sure. yeah. Yeah, it's it's amazing how you know perceptions of things like when you're being a kid seeing something versus seeing it again as an adult or you know you, life experience and you know what you've heard and around the world and uh, yeah I agree there's 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 tons of layers to to uh, all different properties that you know uh, sometimes you only learn what uh, what wisdom comes with age kind of thing yeah 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 or i think it was watching that uh that deep space nine episode where they go back to the 1960s star trek and jedzia dax is like oh my gosh there he is oh he's so amazing i just love him and uh cisco's like yeah a lot of people were really into kirk and she's like no no not kirk spock you know <laughs> i get it yeah that's a uh... I, 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 one of the things I've, I've, I have to confess, uh, at, at times on, on Star Trek Minute is that I am a bad Trekkie in that, uh, you would think, you know, hosting a Star Trek podcast, I would know all things and I've seen all things Star yeah. Trek. And, uh, I am still, uh, I'm still rewatching some of those series. So DS9, I haven't yeah. gotten all the way through yet. Um, and, uh, 
you know, the first few seasons are kind of a, a struggle to get through, but I, yeah. you know, everybody says, Oh, after you get like fast season three, it's amazing. I'm like, really this? I'm like, ah. yeah. so, um, so yeah. I'm still, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still the, watching yeah. some of this stuff for the first time, which is great. Once next gen folded, then all the writers went over to DS nine and it, it immediately jumped in quality. So that's, Oh, there you go. That's yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that could be it. Yeah. That was about two seasons in, I think. All right. Okay. So in the creator commentary, they mentioned that now they have two hackers, one legal and one illegal, both trying to correct the system. And I thought that was a really interesting thing to note because in most computer quote unquote heist films, it's just outsiders trying to break in. But here we have a righteous play by the rules type coming from the inside the system and a, a scamp from outside breaking in. And that seems like a bit of a unique situation. It does, and I I know the uh, the earlier scene where uh, with their you know Flynn's apartment above the arcade and uh, you know Flynn's railing like oh they stole everything from me and if I like only break in there and, and uh, you know tear it all down kind of thing and and uh, yeah and Alan surprisingly responds to that say oh yeah I want to help yeah and uh, so I think it's they both you know I think Alan has realized something's afoot you know within Encom and. Uh, wants to correct it i think that's probably why he built tron in the first place because yeah. he you know suspected there's something just things were heading in the wrong direction um but yeah that is pretty cool that they both they both united they've got slightly different motivations yeah uh, but they both have the same goal which is which is cool yeah i like that a lot then in uh dillinger's office we get dillinger continues to get slapped around by the mcp and the mcp tells dillinger to get him that chinese language program he's asked for and signs off with end of line end and, of line uh, which is a fantastic that's a fa that's a quotable right that's a quotable you, you started yeah greetings programs end of line those are great quotables from this <laughs> yeah movie. that's right um you know i i this this whole this moment here with um with dillinger and you know it, it, this is it i my, my note was he is now very con seems very concerned all of a sudden about everything yeah and and you know i've always kind of I've, I've always had this assumption running assumption in the film that you know he's been he's in charge right the dillinger's in charge and he's you know mcp is just uh you know starts running amok but it re when you really rewatch everything it's it's right out of the gate i mean he yeah he brings you know he brings Dil he has dillinger come back to work he beckons dillinger uh, back yeah yeah and so he's summoning dillinger and so i guess you know right there you should know that you know mcp is in, is really in charge yeah like um, I've, uh, they've got the novelization here and it makes it clear that that's the first time that the mcp has ever done that is it with the the calling him back has, or, has summoned him back or? yeah so he reluctantly yeah. comes back but he walks in the door kind of like uh you don't summon me yeah you know, and then so this whole this whole conversation is the moment where the tables turn and the MCP says, no, 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 I'm in charge. I am the captain right. now. Look at me. I am the captain now. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So that was a That's a striking minute for Dillinger here. Is that, you know, he's, he's like, oh, he looks scared. Um, yeah. And he goes out and looks out over the city, which is just I think that was just a set that they'd done that they put out there to make it look like the city because it's supposed to mirror the the sort of points of light on the grid inside the computer mm. inside the mainframe yeah yeah because it's like what city is that supposed to be do we know i think it's los angeles but uh okay. it's i don't think they ever really mention it clearly i think it's just supposed to be the big city but i would think it's a west coast city from the from the looks of it 
Yeah, there's a great shot in there. I think it's second thirty-three or something where he's you know he's leaning against the chair and the bat and everything looks prismed like the windows look all yeah. prismed. So the, you know, the city's skyline is going or it's going in multiple directions and stuff. And yeah, it d- definitely evokes the grid. Yeah, I wonder if uh, when he when the when the MCP tells Gillinger to get him that Chinese language program, sends him on an errand. I think the point is just to send him on an errand because I would imagine the MCP could just download a Chinese language program. You would think so? Yeah. Is so he trying around. to get him out of the building so he can... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go make me a grilled cheese. You know, <laughs> just get out of here. Uh, in the director's commentary, they mentioned that the lighting technician did an amazing job of keeping the office lit up, but the huge desk in complete darkness so that all of the rear projection graphics would show up clearly. Oh, very cool. Okay. And, yeah, and I didn't even think of that. But yeah, when you look at it, the desk is just this chunk of obsidian there without much reflections on the top. So it's got to yep. be just pristine and uh, so that the so that nothing gets lost from the, cri- the crispness of the rear projection. But And no fingerprints. All the typing he does on that thing. <laughs> yeah. No fingerprints. My, my, my iPhone is a mess, right? It's covered you'd with think, You'd think uh, there'd be a just a smear of finger grease all over the bottom there where he's, uh, where he's been typing exactly. for all this time. Exactly. Uh, yeah, his desk is, is pretty amazing. It's uh, as far as, you know, sci-fi goes, it's it definitely, yeah. you know, yeah, you know, you wonder where Star Trek Next Generation might have gotten some other ideas for control panels and whatnot. This, this is part of it, right? This is evokes that the shiny glass with all the, uh, you know, all the user interfaces just kind of light up and okay, this is the stuff I can work with now, and um, it's pretty fun. And this is even in these shots. There's there's some other scenes with Dillinger where he's got all sorts of things up, up and running and displaying, and uh, it's a fun piece of equipment. Yeah, I love it. I love it. It's just a hundred percent old school practical it's just a hollowed out box with glass on the top and they're just projecting stuff that they've already rendered a long time ago onto the uh onto the yeah. screen but the effect is fantastic the effect looks great i yeah, think i really it. i wanted that desk <laughs> uh then we get a crane shot of dr laura baines and flynn running down a narrow corridor to the linear accelerator and i think this is the last of the shots that this angle where they're where the camera's up high on a on a walkway or a crane up there this mm-hmm. uh the cameraman his viewfinder was broken so he couldn't see what he was shooting oh. so he just pointed it at the actors and was like i hope this turns out good and he didn't he didn't find out until dailies so all the way up to dailies he just had his fingers crossed like oh geez and then they turned he out pulled to, it off. he pulled it off so but then he told the director later and the director was like what <laughs> like he's like ah, i didn't want to be a hassle i didn't want somebody to come up and have to get me and and change it all up and stuff but i thought that was pretty cool so there's three or four shots like that and i think this is the last one and then uh, they go up the stairs into the linear accelerator itself under the clear view of a security camera. So they're not being stealthy at all, which I find that this whole this whole break-in is like, I don't know. I think they would have been yeah, caught especially... a long time ago. <laughs> but when they open the door, I mean, going back a few minutes yeah. and they actually open that giant door, there's no alarm that goes off when that thing opens? <laughs> that door has been, like, there's no guard on it. You know, they just yeah. they just hacked their way through the system. Like I think that's like, uh, the door is opening. You know, which one? The door. Like, oh my god, that door. Like, so yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, for, yeah, for all of MCP's power too, you would think he's got high. You know, he's got eyes on all this stuff, right? Yeah. So he should be looking through all these cameras. And, it's uh, it's uh, interesting because in the because I, I go through the novel and the screenplay differences, 
and in the screenplay we're we're pretty much near the end of the minute now but in the screenplay it's pretty much the same except that there's a number of insert shots from the security cameras and they're uh, they're labeled uh, POV of the MCP so like MCP POV yeah, okay, so they, there you go yeah. they they are being watched but they didn't make that clear in the movie so i guess i guess i can see how it'd be better if it looked like they'd taken the MCP by surprise at least a little bit but it, yep. it, maybe it would have helped with the rising tension to have him, you know, to have the MCP obviously tracking their progress. I don't, I don't know, but I guess maybe they, they wanted to set it up like this so that the MCP reacts like he's been taken unawares. Right. Oh, we should talk about that in a couple of minutes. Yeah. Yeah. The novel has the entire scene uh, and the novelization too. Um, the, what is it by Brian Daly? Uh, it has the entire scene of the MCP uh, spanking Dillinger happen in one go after Alan leaves his office. But here in the office it's been but here in the movie it's been edited so that it takes place after Dr. Walter Gibbs leaves his office with his with his denouement stitched in here during Alan's sit down at his computer and Flynn and Dr. Laura Baines's continued break in. So there's like so now we, we get this this great three of like Flynn Flynn and Dr. Laura sitting down, Alan sitting down, Dillinger's defeat is final. Now we're on to, I guess this might be an act break. This might be the beginning of act two. Yeah, I would agree. We're getting, yeah, we're about to, yeah, probably in the next couple of minutes, we're about to switch gears. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I would agree. Well, that takes us to the end of minute 28. What do you think? Uh, I am, I am, I'm good. I've hit all my notes. So, yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, tell us, Chris, where can people find you if they want to hear more of you? Sure. Yeah. Well, like I said uh, earlier, uh, I, we are myself, my co-host Dave Stoker, a part of Star Trek Minute. Uh, you can find us on the internet at uh, StarTrekMinute.com. Uh, we're on all the uh, social medias uh, as at Star Trek Minute, so Twitter and Tumblr and all that jazz. Um, and you can find the show on all of your favorite podcast locations. Excellent. And if you want to get in touch with us, check out more at tronologicallyspeaking.com. Drop us a line on Twitter at tronologicallyspeaking. Send us an email at tronologicallyspeaking at gmail.com or join us on Facebook at the Tronologically Speaking Minute by Minute listeners page. Shout out to Pond5 for the opening and closing music. And as always, special thanks to the Star Wars Minute that started it all. Go on over to moviesbyminute.com and see if your favorite movie is there. If it isn't, consider doing one yourself. It's a very inclusive and encouraging community in my eyes. Uh, so do you want to try a little um, end of line on three? I would love to. All right. One, two, three. End of line. Oh, that was perfect. <laughs>